Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome back to the Lenten Rouge Cycling Podcast here with Benji Narsen. As always, for the FDJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope previews for 2022, we have the recaps of 2021. I've got an interview with Brody Chapman on FDJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope partway through the podcast. It's a separate video on YouTube as well as uh, hot takes and all that sort of good stuff. But before we get into that, a word on our show partner, LaCole. They have their Strava Challenge at the moment in the lead-up to Christmas. There's also the LaCole Cycling Club, which you can join. There's group rides on a regular basis, often on weekends, with the LaCole Cycling Club. So you can get notified of them if you follow LaCole on Instagram or Twitter or anything like that. We have the link down below. But otherwise, LaCole produce performance cycling apparel and you can check them out at www.lacole.cc now for the 2022 preview of ftg nouvelle actin futuroscope who uh, largely operate independently of the men's ftg team so they're pretty much standalone team just share the same title sponsor different staff uh, mostly i understand and so they've got some good signings coming in in fact another australian to join Brody Chapman on their team, but reviewing their 2021 season, a lot lay on Cavalli and Cecilio Trupp-Ludwig, and they only actually won one race that wasn't French national champs. They won uh, Vuelta a Burgos stage with Ludwig, which was actually a really good win because that was against top competition, that third stage against, I think everyone was there, like AVDB, Nuviadoma, Borghini, Van Vloyen, that was a punchy uphill finish and, and Ludwig actually beat Nuviodoma. So that was her first world tour win, I think. And it's yes. so good to get that off her back. But other than that, Benji, I think they were really missing here a sprinter because there's a lot of consistent top fives in all the major races with the likes of Cavalli or Ultra Ludwig. They're just missing a sprinter to give them options. Like how can they win Genwebelchem? Because I just don't think Cavalli is fast enough. It's near to impossible to do so unless they get a rider that can go away and have a long solo. But it's also very difficult to have a solo at the end of Jens Wevelgem, for example. So it's likely to end up in a reduced bunch sprint if the peloton is not too far behind, which was the case in 2021. Now, you're saying we're looking for a sprinter here that is not there. I'd put it wider. I don't think they have a lot of finishers because, yes, Cecilio Triplodwi is a a good puncher. She can get over hills that other people can't get over. Top 10s in the likes of LBL, Flesh and so forth has had better results in the past. Uh, getting second in Flesh, I think in, was it 2020? So last year, yes, indeed. Yep. Um, she got second in La Course this year, if I recall correctly. Yes. And 
that is also a difference from last year, because last year, our common on Cicely Ludwig was, okay, she's missing that punch. Now, she obviously doesn't have the godlike punch for the sprint yet, but she's gotten better sprints out this year. Getting second in that Lacour's group is not bad. That's beating Mariana Valls, obviously a tired Mariana Valls, but still... Still a good result for what I was expecting from her in that sprint. And that Burgos stage, like you said, very competitive. And surprisingly, that that was a stage that she would do well at because it's obviously a hilly terrain. But she did beat people in the sprint at the end. It was an uphill sprint, the final stretch. And it shows that she's gotten better in that sprint aspect. And that's an improvement I enjoy seeing because that's the argument we made last year that that is a problem she had. Obviously, she won't start beating Mariana Vos on the flat section. I don't see that happening, but she can definitely finish stuff off more. There's likely people in the group that are going to be faster. Volering has a better sprint, stuff like that. But um, I think that's one of the reasons, like you said, they miss a finisher in general, not necessarily only a sprinter. They miss that finishing aspect, got a bit better in that with Cicely Ludwig. And uh, yeah, Cavalli is usually the rider that when she's in the group with Cicely Utrecht-Ludwig, I think it was in Strade, for example. Cavalli's on paper the faster of the two on a flat sprint, I would dare to say. And I feel like they... I recall there being a strategic mistake in Strade, but I don't remember the situation completely. That ended up getting no one on the podium for some reason. But Yeah, I feel like Cavalli was in a group with Ludwig and neither of them attacked um, when they were in... Or like, neither road behind the third person, something like that. Yeah. But Cavalli, you bring her up, Angie. Her first year there, I think she was on Valcar last year. She's 23 years old. Top 10 in On Loop Strade, Tour of Flanders, uh, Emukami Naforaco, Olympic Games, Road Race, Top 10 on GC, 6th at the Giro Rosa, uh, fourth in the TT at Cronodonation, ninth at Roubaix. So many versatile top 10s here. I just think the problem is she can't activate the race like by going on the attack, and often they don't have and haven't had a rider to mark an attack from Elisa Longoborghini who can then have strong teammates sitting behind and or Borghini or Van Loyen, etc. And I think I expect more wins next year, Benji, because I think with Cavalli and Ludwig, who are both consistent top 10 riders, even top five in these big, the biggest. And still young. Yeah, they're like 26 Ludwig and 23 Cavalli. And Music is 22. uh, Yeah, you're right. But also the fact that we're looking at that Giro Rosa, Giro d'Italia Internazionale Femminile, and she got six there. And we're thinking about that race. Those are. Two pretty big mountain finishes, Prato Nevozo being a very big climb to finish on, but also that Matahura thing on the uh, second last stage, where she finished also fourth behind Molman, Vollering, Von der Breggen, ahead of Dagnan, Mavi Garcia, Labuso. Not exactly against the worst climbers in the world that she's getting a fourth position there. So are we looking at a rider like that to be a GC rider at the Tour de France Femme? Cavalli or Muzic? Cavalli. I don't see it for Cavalli. Nah, I think it's. I don't see. I think Cavalli's a better GC rider, personally. I think Ludwig. I thought. I think I'm. Yeah, Ludwig is not often on the long climbs doing as well as I expected. Uh, like, I think I'm trying to think of that Tour of Norway stage finish. Yeah, fourth. I think she got, but I don't remember it completely. But we we saw that. No, actually, she. I can't find it. 
she came fifth, 50 seconds back on Van Vloyen yeah. on that mountaintop finish. But yeah, um, she was in the wheel of Van Vloyen for a while, but she held on for too long and didn't ride her own tempo, yeah. I think, and then just imploded towards the line and got fifth instead. So I think that's part of the reason there. Do you think she couldn't, could have gotten better if she had a steady tempo when she realized she was going to drop eventually? I think that's what Mavi Garcia and Mulman did differently, and they ended up coming second and third. Is Yes, they sort of, particularly Mulman, went their own pace earlier. But yeah, I think... You're right. Who is going to be their GC option for the tour next year? And it's not clear cut. It's not like between Cavalli, does Muzic go for polka dots or one of the mountain stages? Does Is she punchy enough for that? Because Ludwig could get polka dots, I think, unless yep. they have like double points on some of the mountaintop finishes, which I yep. desperately hope they do not. Uh, but yeah, yeah, incoming transfers, Benji. Grace Brown is the Maybe the biggest transfer in women's cycling, apart from Balsamo from Valcar to Trek. Uh, one off, cer- certainly one off. Huge transfer. I think top five one day rider in the world. Left backs, uh, you know, an Australian at that top of their game leaving. It's a, a shame to see for them, but over to FDJ and she gives them a lot of options in the classics. And I think it just makes because Trek have multiple riders, FD Works have multiple riders, and often FTJ just have the one or two. She won a Burgos stage one, uh, sort of weird, like progressive uphill drag. She won Brugge de Pana, I think, you know, women's world tour race solo ahead of Norsgaard, yep. Daughter, and Kapeki. I think she gave them a lot of, like in Henve, Hen Benji, she can go on the attack, and now Ludwig and Cavalli can sit in. Yeah, certainly. I think she's the kind of rider that can win a lot of races going solo towards the end. She has that engine. And a race we haven't seen her in this year that I was kind of curious that she wasn't there. I don't recall her having an injury in the latter part of the season, but I could be wrong in that. But she was not at Paris-Roubaix. And I think her type of rider would do very well on that, Paco. Uh, I think she ended her season to get to... She needs surgery on her shoulder. Oh, okay. My in, bad. In August, I think. It didn't like heal properly. Um, that's what I, I think, because I feel like her season was quite disrupted because she was flying like second at Nokia de Corsa, one Bugatapana, third at Tour of Flanders, then Burgos was good, fifth at the course. And then, yeah, she had that shoulder injury. 2020 as well, as a reminder, she came second in Liège, chasing after Diagnan, and she came first at Brabant's Pale. So, I wonder, Amstel Gold Race, she didn't do – she did Amstel this year, actually came 19th, uh, but she's she's 29. Who do you think now is going to be their leader, Benji, in those sort of races, I think? Or is it not as linear that, as that? It's more who – what sort of roles do they have? I think that it doesn't necessarily need to be a rider selected from the start. It just needs to be – seeing that this is now a stronger block of a team to yeah. fight against the two stronger blocks of other teams, which is Trek and SD Works as the uh, main teams. But I think you've got quite some options on this parkour. You've got quite a lot of riders in this team that can support properly on hilly parkours. And we're looking at their leaders being Ludwig, Brown. We've got the likes of Cavalli also being strong in those races. But then I look, for example, at a Chapman who can get a top 25 in the likes of Hill Classics, Flesh, LBL can be supportive there as well. Then I'll look at, for example, I don't know, Muzic can definitely get over hills as well. Uh, she got 
top 25 as well in LBL and in La Flèche. So tons of riders on this team, more than the two I just mentioned. I think uh, vaguely that Grosted did also do pretty well, but more at the cobble races. But I just don't see it currently. Probably wrong on that one. But there's just support here. And there's support for their three leaders. And when I look at the races and I think about the races this year, I've got the feeling that I mainly saw the leaders and perhaps one domestique per race, and I didn't see a block surrounding their leaders too much in the season. And I don't know, is that because we're watching the races and we see the amounts of SD works and track riders and don't focus on the amount of FDG riders that are in that group? Or is that because they're not there? They're not there sometimes. I, I often remember like someone attacks and people are looking at, Ludwig to close it and she has to do that work herself and for example I mean she got dropped with Voss on Lier- in Liège Voss on Liège um, could she is Grace Brown going to be good enough to bring her back or will Grace Brown be sitting on and that slows the group down ahead I don't know but it just gives them more options that's just another rider who's a consistent top 10 getter Cavalli Brown and Ludwig now and they're also bringing in a young rider 20 years old Vittoria uh Bazzini, so she's coming from Val- Valcar, seems to be one of the best developers of talent. Balsamo, yeah. Bazzini, Cavalli, all these young Italian women. Now, Bazzini, she came, she won the TT in the uh, European Champs U23. She is fourth at Dwarves Door. She, I think, uh, where else? 12th at Provence Pale. She was in the Italian track team pursuit team at Tokyo. Uh, so she's obviously seems to be like, I assume an engine with that TT result combined last with her year, track experience. Last year, top twenty-five in RVV, thirteen in Hinwevelgem. Those are also results that you're like, okay, this rider can get far in cobble races as well. Can be supportive in cobble races. And do I have the feeling that she's got a bit of a bunch in sprints, or am I looking at it wrong? Um, I mean, track background. Maybe mm. she does. I think Sarah Tizit challenge. She's got some like top tens, I think, ahead of like Sarah Roy in sprints. So that's not slow by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, I think in a group of three or four, she'd certainly be quite fast. I think Balwaza third stage this year. Um, no, nah, it wasn't a sprint. I don't know. Maybe she's. I think she'll be okay in a sprint. But let's pick their team now, Benji. For say those classics like Duarte, Tour of Flanders, Paris Bay, Brugge de Pana. I'm going with. Grace Brown, Cavalli, uh, Grazzini. Are you sending Ludwig? I think I'm sending Ludwig to some of them, but not all of them. I'm sending her. I feel like you should. <laughs> That's my argument. <laughs> I guess, yeah, because the other teams are going to send everyone too, so you need numbers. Yeah. Uh, Christina Borgley, send her, and as well as... Grazzini I would send as well. Yeah. I would not send Muzic. Uh, Chapman, I would reserve for the Hilly Classics. And then, hmm. yeah, that's how I would sort of I would sort of have the block of, as you said, um, Cavalli, Ludwig, and Brown. I would put in uh, Chapman and Fallen in there as well because Fallen had a top 10 at Hindwevelgem, top 10 at Brabant Sapel, certainly fits these kind of races as well. So she's one that is perhaps sometimes overlooked, but also... Uh, very strong in finals in these kind of races. And I think that those are the main riders that I'm like, okay, those are the ones that I 100% 
needing those races if I'm a team like this. And perhaps there's some other riders that are currently riding those smaller races. Like Eduardo of London is not the level of a Tour of Flanders. And Akaponi is getting into Eduardo of London and getting a uh, 31st place there. That's not on the level where I'm like, okay, instantly send her to a RVV. But that's also not bad. She got quite great results at Women's Tour and perhaps underrated in that sense that she is the kind of sprinter on their team being twice top three in the first two stages there getting sixth and fifth in the last two stages also in sprints yes it's not against yes it's against Wibbers but getting beaten by Wibbers Balsamo and Hosking in most of those stages but it's like on the level of an outsider sprinter right now so is that strong enough to get those victories in world Tour races right now it's not but it can get them victories outside of that I think yeah maybe Maybe I've completely missed something here. And that Caponi, she her first half of the season before Olympics is not anything comparable to her results at women's tour. And then so she twenty-two, she went to Olympics, did the Omnium and Madison in Tokyo, and then came back Simac Ladies Tour, maybe getting her legs under her, and then at women's tour, like third, second, fifth, sixth, and then fourth in the point I think third in the third overall on GC at the at the women's tour. So she's 22, maybe, and then she had second and fourth at the Madison and Omnium in the Roubaix Velodrome at the Track World Championships. So maybe she's the sprinter we're saying they're miss- they were missing Benji for the bigger races before the Olympics, and she yeah, can feel that. I agree, but she's also not at level where I'm like, she's going to win those sprints on World Tour. So she's on the edge or just under the edge of doing that which means that she can perhaps do it in the future because she's very young and promising. So she could fill that spot if she keeps progressing the way she did at the end of the season. Yeah, I'd say that maybe Brugge Pana, you could ride for a sprint for her if there's... Can you him? Yep. Is that is she, too much? Uh, I think they've got other options there and maybe yeah. make it a bit more open with Brown. But like, if it's a sprint and Vibas is there, she looks like right now in a sprint, Clara Caponi, she's the only rider on FTJ that, that can beat maybe well, contest it contest for it contest, yeah. <laughs> be it is a lot because uh there's only one person i think in the season that can do so at the moment it's balsamo yeah. or has done so probably some other people can potentially do so on some occasions but she's not on fdgs so that's not the topic of the day Toponi, yes indeed an outsider sprinter for the hilly classics going similar team again there's a lot that stands on their shoulders of brown cavalli ludwig Evita Music comes in here as another option, see how she develops uh, as well. And probably Farland's a good domestique. Uh, probably send her. Chapman is much better in those races. And then I think maybe Victoria Guilman, she's 25. She seems to go to a mixture of races. And uh, Mary Lenet who has been – she's 21 as well, and she did like Tour de Suisse. Maybe it's she's also a track rider, but I don't know. Can she do – there's a lot of riders like her. Like she's similar to Caponi. Like she doesn't really make sense for both her and Caponi to go unless she's a lead out in those uh, classics races. But, yeah, I think it's going to be a similar leadership at the Ardennes for the FTJ Neville Aquitaine team. Have you got any other different thoughts? Uh, I think it's going to be a very similar team in general. Yep. Um, because we're looking at this team and most of the riders that I said I would send to the Cobble Race are also the ones that I would send to the Ardennes. And that is what leads to uh, the fact that a Jade Will, for example, that uh, could be very badly pronounced, so I'm sorry if that's the case. 
that's the rider that I currently don't see fitting in both of those teams, but can definitely be worthy in one-week races like a Burgal support, Darius Artizit, stuff like that, even in Simak Ladies Tour. You, you need domestiques there, and that's where riders like that come in. Then we don't necessarily need to put those riders also in the in the in the heavy hitting races like that instantly, unless they prove at races that they deserve to be there. And right now, that's not there yet for for me, in my opinion. I would if if they're now getting too overloaded with the Giro Rosa two weeks before the uh, Tour de France Femme, and we just sent the three big leaders to all the races in the first third of the season, I would then maybe give some opportunities to just Caponi to go for sprints in the Giro Rosa and send one of them or send Muzic with leadership on GC of the Giro Rosa to make sure that, again, those big three are fresh and prepared for the Tour de France fan. They have to be, and that's uh, Cavalli, Brown, and Ludwig. I would also send probably Duval and Brody Chapman just some serious climbs in that race, but one of Gozzini or Caponi, you need you need a sprinter. So I think I think Caponi or Gozzini have to go, Benji, just because that first stage you need to be trying to contest for that lead, the first yellow jersey. I think Caponi, she's French, so uh, yeah. if you're French, you're forced to go to the Tour de France Femme. It's organized by law in France, and that's why I would send her there. Ludwig as well. I'm um, I've got a hot take, but I'll wait towards the end. Or should I say it already? Say it. Okay, Cavalli will top five the Tour de France Femme. Wow, that is a hot take. I see it. I see it. I think it's possible. I think Grace Brown wins a monument. I think Ludwig wins two World Tour races. And uh, I think I just think they're going to have a much better year. I think Clara Caponi is going to win a World Tour race. And I'm going to She's going to win a sprint. I don't know if it's going to be World Tour level yet. She'll win a World Tour race. It might not even be a sprint. Okay. Might not even be a sprint. Um, yeah. I'm sitting there over under for World Tour wins, Benji. They had one this year. I'm going to set it at. Uh, two and a half over under. I think it's more. And I think when we're setting these numbers, we're often not taking in that we're going to have plenty more World Tour yeah. stages next year. We've Romandie. got the Tour de France family coming in. Romandy, um, Itzulia coming back as well, because I think it was cancelled this year, the plans of doing Itzulia this year. Battle of the North also races uh, stages there that are going to uh, be sprints and climbing stages and hilly stages, whatever. So... Oh, it's gonna be more than two and a half. Yeah, I think, easily. Yeah, maybe that's well. <laughs> they only won one this year, so I said it. I'm going over as well, which will be triple their wins this year. But yeah, I think Brown Brown wins. will have more than two and a half. Yeah, but Prabance is not World Tour, and she won that last year, and this year she won one World Tour, two World Tour races rather. Yeah, so assuming she continues, yeah, maybe two and a half is too conservative. But yeah, I'm, I'm hyped for their team. I just I'm hyped for other teams who are you know they're probably they were like ranked seventh or eighth this year, being more competitive against the ST Works Trek Segafredos of this world. Uh, so yeah, hopefully FTJ keep improving. Any last thoughts on their team, Benji? Before we get out of here, I'm a uh, it's my favorite team in women's cycling. Eh, not my favorite. I think I like Canyon Shram, but um, I feel like they they also don't get the wins they should. Uh, with Nivea Doma. But yeah, it's, it is a team that I do quite like. I, I like the underdog. So I, I want FTJ to win more races next year, certainly in Women's World Tour. But we're now going to go into our interview with Brody Chapman, rider on FTJ Neville Aquitaine for Touriscope. She came sixth in Classica San Sebastian this year. 
Australian. I actually know, we realized I know her from back in like 2015, 16, back in both our Brisbane days. So lots of interesting comments as well as on the Wollongong parkour that's been half announced. Right, welcome to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. Brody on FDJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope both this year, next year as well. A team, I would say, on the rise, some big signings for 2022 and already some good results uh, and some strong riders in 2021. We're going to talk about the World Championships uh, women's parkour or what we know of it for 2022, given that we're both Australian. I'm not sure if Brody's going back or not, but Brody, I understand you're going down to is it Calpe Denia, wherever everybody seems to be right now uh, for team camp tomorrow. Yeah, so leave tomorrow and head down south. Um, in the past, our team has always trained in Cambrils in Tarragona, but this is the first year that we're heading down that way. So I'm actually not 100% sure where we're staying, but I'm looking forward to new roads for me anyway. Where is the best place you've trained? I think you've trained a lot in Brisbane, where I've trained. In fact, we figured out before we started recording that we'd actually been on a training ride together back in like 2015, 16, which was so kind good. of mind-blowing. Um Obviously, Brody's cycling career has gone in one direction. Mine's gone in the other. <laughs> but yeah, where, where do you prefer to train? Um, look, I really actually liked training in Austria. In oh, okay. When we had the Innsbruck World Champs. And I yeah. don't know if it's just a good time of my life or like I really love the mountains. But I just have really good memories from training in and around Innsbruck. Um, also, where I grew up, Mount Glorious in Brisbane, um, it's very very hilly and like a subtropical rainforest and so um except for the pretty disrespectful drivers in queensland i would say that that's one of my favorite places to train as well um, and of course Girona. there's a reason everyone lives here and trains here because <laughs> there's endless options i'm still i still rode a brand new road yesterday and i feel like i'm someone who always does a different loop every day kind of thing so yeah. <laughs> it's crazy how many like you, Nick Schultz when he was back, Seb Berwick, all do like the Go Track Nebo Glorious Loop. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh but yeah, Andorra definitely noticed the difference in driver attitudes in Andorra uh since I came, which is which is a good thing. But yeah. world world champs next year, Wollongong. I think I'm not sure how many slots Australia will have. The course is 176 kilometers, I believe, which is one of the maybe the longest ever and a fair bit of climbing in it too have you done or are you familiar with that area have you done like mount kira or that sort of punchy hills yeah. around there yeah um yeah i guess i'm still kind of waiting for the uci to affirm everything because i have heard like to be honest as an australian writer we didn't really have any idea um okay even right kind of knew someone there in the course like we didn't have any idea until everyone else found out as well um yeah, I, so yeah, I'm waiting for like the full confirmation from the UCI to know exactly what the demands are, but I actually spent the last probably two off seasons around Sydney because um, my boyfriend's from there, so I lived yeah. there briefly. And so, yeah, I'm actually kind of familiar with that area. I have some friends in Wollongong and there's a, a famous bunch ride that heads out that way, Saturday Calypso. And so I'm a little bit familiar with the roads around Helensburg down like along the coast on the Seacliff Bridge, um, which is pretty cool that's being included. It's super iconic, like yeah. New South Wales cycling. Um, and I have done Mount Kira, I think twice. Um, I was out there on a training ride and did my first ever strength leaps on Mount Kira. And I was like, what are these? What is this low cadence? <laughs> but that's my memory of it. Okay. Um, 
Yeah. So I think it's, yeah, my opinion on it is I'm pretty excited. I had heard swirling rumors that it was going to be like a sprinter's course and I'm like, oh man, I'd like it. There's so many really nice climbs around there. It'd be good if they included something. So um, that's cool to see. And I think it's kind of a little bit reminiscent of, from what I recall of like Geelong Worlds, having Shalambra and then, you know, a, a bit of a distance into the finish. So like it leaves it open to, yeah, it still could be like a small sprint. It could be a solo rider. Um, reminds me a bit of Classica San Sebastian, to be honest, which I yeah, love true. this year. Yeah, that kind of race is exciting. It's many options. Yeah, I was hoping for a home-cooked um, parkour for Caleb Ewan in the men's race. I was like, just make it pancake flat, but it didn't. And <laughs> I think uh, the Australian bias aside, there's a lot of merit to having a mixed parkour like this, both in the men and women's, to give a variety of riders options. Like, is it going to be volering or is it, or is it going to be... Voss? Is it too hard for Voss? Is it too hard for Balsamo? Is it where someone like Nuvia Doma and uh, Ludwig on FDJ and your team comes in? Is it too hard for Grace Brown? Can she, has she got an opportunity to go solo? So yeah, it's definitely more interesting than, it's going to be better than to watch in a sprint, um, if, even though. Yeah, I think uh, I, I mean, I also was like, well of course they'll make it for Caleb thinking he's from that area, you know. But- yeah. I, I hope he has a good race anyway, and I reckon that the home crowd, home feeling always gives you a few extra watts anyway. So maybe that'll that'll get him over over the climbs. Um, but yeah, either which way, I think people are going to start really mulling over now. Like, what? How do we prepare for this race, and what sort of strategy do we go in with, and what sort of riders do we bring? And yeah, um, I think that we've seen in recent years, like with the women's peloton and the men's peloton, that. You know, sprinty riders are fit enough and strong enough to get over these climbs. Um, I mean, yeah, Flanders wasn't exactly, uh, Leuven wasn't exactly flat, but yeah, it's it's going to sting. <laughs> the, it's going to sting all and gone, I reckon. <laughs> Do you, speaking of strategy, Olympics, then World Championships, the Dutch didn't win despite having like four of the top five favourites is that was that just random luck? Was that nothing to do with what the other teams did, and it was more to do with their dysfunction? Or do you think there's now there is a way to beat them by I guess almost other nations pairing up where a Grace Brown attacks or you attack, and Elise Shabby also attacks with you, and an Italian comes with you, and then you almost gang up on the Dutch themselves. Is is that a way to beat them, or was it just random occurrences and? AVV will still be a heavy favourite on a course like that next year. Yeah, I mean, you can never discount Annemiek. Um, she's one of the strongest in the world. So I don't know. I mean, I personally see it as like the Dutch is a team full of winners. And from other nations' perspective, I guess they freak, everyone races against the Dutch. Wait for the Dutch to chuck. Wait till they do this. If there's yeah. a Dutch rider, which is kind of a little bit negative racing. Um, but, you know, they... Well, I wasn't in the Worlds this year. I was injured, so I got to watch it on TV. Um, but from what I could see, it appeared that, like, the Dutch and the Italians actually both had a completely different strategy, and they were first and second. So, I mean, the Italians went all in with a really, really strong team structure. You know, and initially there was one point where um, Elisa Longobordini was in a move and she wasn't rolling through and everyone's like, what's going on? As if she couldn't win from this. And it's like, they had this plan and they fully hundred percent back Balsamo. And, you know, Voss 
Voss was there and the Dutch did attack. They did attack a lot. And I guess that has traditionally worked for them in the past. Like they've got the strongest riders, they can attack and then one of them can get away. I mean, Chantel and then you have Annemiek and Anna. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a matter of other teams really working as a unit um, because the truth of the matter is the Dutch on paper do have like the individual strongest riders who can just ride away from the rest of the field. But what they do seem to lack is that complete unison. And you can understand why everyone really could be a winner. Um, so that, the way the other teams, I think, need to, to dismantle them is to create a really good team, team plan, team strategy. And it, it worked for the Italians. So, yeah, yeah. taking notes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Going away from the world champs back to women's world tour but sort of similar riders we're mentioning that other difficult ones to beat like Voss like a Vollering like Van Vleuten you've got FDJ have Grace Brown coming in I was kind of surprised to see it the Australian into FDJ next year I would say top five one day rider in the world conservative I think she's definitely top five maybe if you look at Brabant Liège and then again this year You've now got yourself, her, Ludwig, Cavalli, Farlin. Do you think with AVDB retiring, and I know they got Vars, I know they got others coming mm. in, but you can't replace AVDB, um, it's like yeah. generational <laughs> talent. What do you think, does, does that just give you more options given that Grace likes to attack? And often it's been Cecilia having to, like she has to attack because she can't beat Voss in a sprint, but then if she doesn't get away and then she has to, she's tied for the sprint. But actually, I think she won an uphill sprint this year. Um, yeah. In a, yeah. In a women's world tour race as well. How do you think that changes things, Grace, coming into the team? Um, I definitely think it just gives us options. Like, it, I mean, the women's world tour calendar is bigger next year. We do have more demanding stage races. So you're going to need to kind of, um, I guess, strategize how you use the riders throughout the year, when they're going to be peaking, when they're going to be resting. Um, so, I mean, in our team, yeah, Scylla has been quite an obvious leader and there has been a lot of, you know, she's taken that leadership role on really well. And But you're right, like, if she attacks, everyone's like, it's a threat, but then she might not 100% be, like, you know, guaranteed in the sprint. So I think having someone like Grace and also now you've seen the strength of Marta is that, we do have these options. And so it's going to be a matter of like, well, she could win, she could win. So it's not like everyone's going to be all eyes on Sealy, nullifying everything she does. So um, yeah, plus, plus we do have a, a more extensive calendar. So it'll give each leader the opportunity to probably rest and like really peak for a race rather than going into every kind of big race with the, um, yeah, with the pressure on their shoulders. Evita Muzic, 22. You've got the Tour de France fam of Exwift coming in next year. Some of the longest climbs we see all year. Is Muzic, do you reckon she's, she seems to be a pretty good climber. She won this year. I won a Giro Rosa stage last year. Does she go for polka dots? Are people already thinking about what they're doing with, you know, there, all these questions are coming up with the TDFF mm -hmm. next year that haven't been asked before. Of, okay, well, like, it's probably a lot of exposure and, prestige in getting the polka dots like which riders and i'm thinking which riders who aren't avv aren't boss aren't bothering can go for that and like she seems to be a name there or does she win from the break i don't, I don't know is where do you see like her strengths next year is it is she ready to step up at like a liege baston liege even 
Yeah, I mean, Evita is an incredibly strong rider and she's actually, she's quite mature in her approach. I mean, I think FDJ saw her talent from quite a young age and they wanted to kind of foster that. And you see a lot of young riders be like thrown into the spotlight, like what are they going to win next yeah. big thing? But I have to say to the credit of the team and also her own attitude is that they've she's really like developed slowly at her own pace. I mean, not slowly as in like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. She's not like forced into leadership because she's got an inkling of um, – you know, talent, but she's extremely talented. She's a very good teammate too. Um, you know, there are plenty of races this year where she's been working hard for Scylla, even though like probably she could have been in that front group. Um, so that's really nice to see as well. And yeah, she, she is, she enjoys climbing. She's happy. She's quite skilled as well. So she's, you know, she's racing cyclocross in the past. So she's um, absolutely able to be there on those crazy descents. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens at the Tour de France. I, I don't actually know any any clue who our team is going to be yet, and I also yeah don't know what sort of leadership approach we go into it with. But I um, highly imagine that Evita will be there, and she'll be definitely looking for stage wins or a GC position. I mean, I'd love to see that, especially as a French rider. It's um means a lot. And going to yourself now this year, best result was sixth at San Sebastian Hilly like one of the most hilly races actually on the calendar next year as you said there's even more and like Norway I think Norway had a proper mountaintop finish uh this year as well which Van Vleuten won do you your role this year what, what was it mostly domestic work in races 100%. and do you, 100% <laughs> 100% <laughs> yeah and do you see That's that changing I next year um, I'd like to have the opportunity, yeah, because I feel like I'm not someone who can half be a domestic and half be a leader. I either want to know that I'm going to have the opportunity right. to win and have that focus or I'm going to 100% ride for the girl on my team who I think can win. I'm not likely to be like, oh, I'll work a little bit less or cover one less attack and then try and get like a top 15. Like that doesn't bring me joy <laughs> I want to be satisfied at the end of the race and I want to be satisfied with my either my role as a domestic or my role as a leader so yeah at times I guess I feel you know if I look back on my data from some of those races or like how you know Liege Basson Liege for example um yeah some of the races in like Durango Durango I had I was floating I had some of the best races of my year and I probably had I just been like the leader I would have gotten further through the race but that's not the point of a team you know yeah. we have someone like Scylla who um is super consistent a podium getter and she has won some races so it's like yeah I I think I can do a really good job for her and I know that I'm strong enough and willing enough to do what's required but yeah I certainly miss the feeling of being able to try and win <laughs> like and even if it was like, okay, Brody, you have like one chance like to try and get a result and it's like, you know, everything's on you for this one race. And yeah, like I've tried to get away in breaks a few times. And for example, I have been represented in the break and then Scylla's come across or something like that. But yeah, you pretty much haven't seen it on TV. So unfortunately, I feel a little bit overlooked a lot of the time because yeah, you don't see, you don't see what we do in races. You don't see what the domestic does. You don't see which breakaways I was in, for example, like the TV turns on after like the leaders of court. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And then you have pro cycling stats to look at, which, yeah. I mean, 
yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to be a leader, but I'm also not going to fight for leadership when there's someone who's more capable of winning, if you know what I mean. Well, as you said, there's more races coming onto the calendar, world tour races, where, where it, teams are going to have to go outside their typical one or two leaders uh, mm. just to spread it around. Like Tour de Romney, for example, I assume three-day mm-hmm. stage race next year, I assume that's going to have a hilly stage in it or a mountainous stage. Uh, might even have a mountaintop finish. Like, does it, you know, th- that's sort of around the same. Before the Tour de France, it's just I expect different riders to be going to those sort of races um, yeah. and getting chances, which, which is good. Which is what we need. Like, I think, you know, my opinion on breakaways and women's cycling. So there are a lot of kind of um, debates over, like, women's cycling never has any breaks. It's so boring. And why does everyone just wait? And then also it's like random breakaway. It's really exciting and crazy. And the break wins. Like it seems like there's these two extremes. There's not this pattern that you have in men's cycling. And I think the reason for that is traditionally um, women's cycling is still, you know, very young. And it's not being emphasised to riders to be in the breakaway is important. Like it's not on TV. You're not getting visibility for your team. And so like why and our races aren't, super super long so why would you be in the break and then get caught and get 75th when you could kind of hang in there and maybe get like 26th yeah (laughs) which what you see sometimes happening and then because the truth of the matter is like teams or prospective sponsors will look at pro cycling stats or we'll look at the results and be like oh yeah you know she was a top 20 in that race and that is more likely to get you somewhere than you know being a being a domestic and being in every breakaway and then finishing way down the back. But that is changing now because we've seen people taking risks in breakaways and then breakaways winning, breakaways being on TV, um, you know, talent being spread. So I think that's what's really exciting is that, hold on, wait a minute, now the teams are saying everyone has, you know, we have to be in the breakaway because they're winning races now. And um, yeah, I'm not quite sure where I went on that tangent for, but I felt like it was important. <laughs> Well, I agree. There's a few this year that stuck out in my mind. The first one was uh, Cursina at Burgos, who won by like mm-hmm. a minute in the first stage of Burgos. Uh, and then there was Faulkner in Norway and Royster as well. I think Royster was in a break with Rivera and one from the break. And it's like, well, Royster, not the punchiest, not the greatest sprint, but a great time trialist. So mm-hmm. going in the break is going to be her best option probably. And mm-hmm. she's really strong. So yeah, it's, it's definitely changed. I take your point. Like Simon Pello was on Androni. He won mm-hmm. the Giro award for most Ks in the break. It's not an actual award. It was, mm-hmm. um, and he just went in the breakaway on days where he had no chance of winning. He got a Trek contract, like a two year deal, yeah, um, which not, totally. which now I think he's actually quite good. Uh, and if he applied himself into breaks in stages, he could actually win. He could do better. But the point is he didn't prove he could win races at all. And got a Trek deal um, because it's on TV because they could see him on TV. Yeah. I thought, you know, suicide breaks. But next year, <laughs> Tour de France will have two and a half hours coverage. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think half an hour might be like post game or 15 pre game, 15 post game, two hours. So two hours coverage definitely. What's the minimum you think? Because I like even Paris Nice or Dauphiné, I think they kick in mm-hmm. like two and a half hours. I think anything less than two hours, you are really risking miss, missing stuff. Yeah, I guess women's like our races are like anywhere from three and a half to four and a half hours. So yeah, yeah for sure, anything less than two hours, you know, there are there is a lot going on. Like 
you know, you do see the kind of cream of the crop rise towards the back end of the race. And then you're like, well, how, how did this group form? Like, how did this happen? What's the race situation? And I mean, I watched a lot of cycling and I enjoy it and I want to know how the race went down. And I remember like the person in the break and what they did. So I would love that. I would love for other people to watch our sport and have the same kind of excitement. Cause there's also races I've been in that have had absolutely zero coverage. Like you're lucky if there's even a tweet about it, but they're being so dynamic and so exciting. And like the way that the winner got there is it's a whole story. I mean, that's why cycling is an exciting sport. So um, yeah, and I think now teams are hiring riders who are, like there seems to be a little bit more of a, um, you know, the riders who are going to be in the break in women's cycling. I mean, you see riders like Elise Shabby, yeah. um, Taylor White, like I try to get in there myself. Um, Nia Fisher-Black's quite present in the break. Like that kind of, you know, when you look at those riders, you're like, okay, like, yeah, that's that's going to be the break. And but then, you know, they are getting further through. So like we've seen Shabby get some podium results from, being in the breakaway and being aggressive, even if she's, you know, technically riding for her leader, Cassia or something like that. So now I think directors and like teams are like, all right, we're going to need this kind of rider because it's important for our sport. And that's good because it does, it does open opportunities for different types of riders. It's, it's important primarily, I, I think, defensively. Like Shabby gets in the break or Nee Fisher-Black for your exam. Nee Fisher-Black gets in the break and a Trek rider doesn't get in the break at Liège or a big one-day race, SD Works now no longer have to chase. And mm-hmm. just defensively, it's really, really important to be represented yeah. in the break. And, yeah, it's getting more and more important. If you, if you don't, not in the break, like, but then it depends, is Nee Fisher-Black good enough to win from the break? If the break stays away, probably yes. Um, yeah, it depends on the finish then, isn't it, right? Yeah. It's like, well, like, for example, in Liège, best on Liège, like, I absolutely love that race to pieces, so I'm going to talk about it a lot. But there was a moment where I was like, so, yeah, it wasn't on TV, but basically I attacked. Um, I was alone for a bit on a climb and then the, the, the typical breakaway riders joined me and we, we had a really good working group. Yeah. Um, but Liv missed the break and they, they, they rode it back. Yeah, it wasn't long. Like we, I think we, got, we didn't even get to LaRouche, LaRouche, um, but Liv were quite absent in the break and in, in the previous years in Liège, Brass on Liège, maybe people looked at each other and like the teams missed it, like our team missed it two years ago and then now it's just like, no, we can't let that happen. Yeah. So, um, but then, yeah, because that wasn't on TV, then there, there was a, like Nee Fisher-Black actually attacked again out of that break. So she was already in that one and then she attacked again once we got caught. So it's like, wow, you can see how amazing she really is. Like she was already in a breakaway and like, I mean, I had the same situation in La Course. Like, so I think it's super important that, I mean, you see the whole race. And, of course, every rider, like, I'm talking from my own perspective, like, what I did was so heroic. But, like, <laughs> you, you remember your own race. Yeah. And when someone asks you how the race went, you're going to be like, here's the story. Not like, yeah, I was 50 seconds. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> well, that's what I remember things like... Marco Haller doing something randomly in the middle of Tour of Flanders or um, Ashley Moorman Passio, I'm not sure where she ended up coming in Liège, but like attacking mm. on the second to last climber. And like, I remember that and it was important mm. for the race. But speaking of SD Works, who do you think is going to be the top dogs? They were top dogs again this year. Do you think, are they more, vul- I think they're more vulnerable next year. I know they're, I know Vass is now mm. there and she's a gun. And I think, uh Kopecky's going to SD Works, isn't she? No, yeah. oh, Kopecky yeah, and, yeah. and Royce. So Kopecky, 
Yeah. yeah um, look, there's still a force to reckon with. I think obviously Vollering has really stepped into the like Anna van der Breggen role quite quite well, and I know she doesn't love to be constantly compared to Anna, which is totally fair enough. Um, but as far as leadership opportunities go, I think they'll be racing for Demi a lot. Um, Kapeki, you know, she's not just a pure sprinter, so that just gives them options. They're a little bit of a quick step in that way that you're like, who could win? <laughs> um, I think Kapeki will win more than Vollering next year. I think yeah, Kep- she's, she's such she's, a fast finisher. It's yeah. insane. Like, but, yeah, you have, um, you know, like Marlon Morosa there, who's just an absolute diesel, and Chantel, I think, is still racing up in the spring. Yeah. So, we saw her start off the season last year winning Strata Bianchi, which was incredibly inspiring, I have to say, to see a rider like Chantal win. She was in the breakaway and then the breakaway splintered and then she she won from that more or less. So that was pretty cool as well. Um, she was just the strongest rider. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah think... I think it's going to be cool on SD Works to see like some of the younger riders. Like Obviously, Neve Fisher-Black is incredibly yeah. talented and she, she does always ride for her leaders really well. Um, and then also Blanca Vass, I think she's going to be so good to watch. She's so incredible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they got a lot of options, but AVDB, the thing is AVDB, was, she was willing to be 100% domestique in the course in Liège in the final. Yeah. And it's, I'm thinking, okay, out of Volering and Kopecky, who's going to do that if they're in a finish that suits Kopecky? Because Kopecky does climb pretty well. And that's something I'd, mm. I'm waiting to see what happens there. So I feel like Trekker, definitely, they've been on the up. Uh, they got Balsama coming over. You now have consolidated with Grace Brown coming over. So mm. there's a lot of other. I know there's just a lot of lot of strong teams cropping up now. And do you think there's space for more teams at the moment, or do you think it's it's pretty well balanced now? Oof, I think it's pretty at this point in time. It's pretty well balanced. I mean, you do have a really good dispersion of talent. And that's going to be really interesting to watch. Plus, you have yeah more world tour teams who are well much more supported, and the riders can fully focus on being professional riders. Like, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to explain how much not having enough money really affects your life as a pro athlete. Like, you know, so I think it might not be obvious to the the naked eye, but the fact that you have riders who are getting paid enough to live and survive and enhance themselves and athletes as athletes um, will make a big difference to not the girls who are already good, but everyone else as well. Like it's just the professionalism is just going up and you do have a good, yeah, a good amount of riders on different teams. Plus you have other kind of pro Conti teams, I guess they're called pro teams um, with up and coming riders and some talent. So it's, uh, it's, it's exciting. I like that our sport is like constantly and rapidly changing. Like it's only improving. <laughs> like, yeah. That's a cool part of. <laughs> like it's growing faster than the men's. Yeah. And that's, it's like changing faster than the men's. And that's why like when I put up a women's video, I'm like, I have no idea how well this will do. Like it can, and then it, it like constantly surprises me. And like, even mm-hmm. I looked at my videos for the women's races this year and I had like my forecasts for it. And I was, you know, it like rapidly, I think I projected like 25, 30K average per video. And they averaged like a lot more than that. They averaged like 80 to 90,000 views. Um, I guess there was the Amstel, Amstel outlier. But the, like, that's a lot of views for men or women's race just for like a highlight yeah. video. So 
definitely, although no, one, no one's ever spoken to me about it, um, definitely there's a way to package it. And I don't think necessarily there needs to be a huge focus on copying the men's. Yes, you need um, good, cover, good quality coverage of a, of a minimum length. You need good prize money. You need riders having you know constantly focusing on improving wages and having a livable wage is a minimum that's like that's a minimum that's not even the goal mm-hmm. but otherwise i think there needs to be a focus on how can we make this the best product possible not totally. uh, not all oh, the men's race to that i mean half the stuff in men's world tour is terrible and should not be <laughs> and should not be copy like the structures and systems no. etc you know what i mean yeah. We've got an opportunity, like a unique opportunity to kind of like improve on what's kind of already exists from men's cycling, but you have to adapt it and change it like to make it, like you said, it's got to be like a good media package at the end of the day. Like that is how our sport exists is through sponsors who want to get visibility through media. And so, you know, women's cycling doesn't maybe follow as much of a pattern as men's cycling. And as I feel like sports fans they like a little bit of predictability. They want to know the characters. They want to know who's going to be in the break. Like you kind of, you want to understand how the riders are, but we haven't, like our sport hasn't been visible for that long to, for fans to really get to know that. Like, and that's what is going to improve. It's going to be like a, um, you know, a catalyst for more people watching the sport. If you can, yeah, predict a little bit more just who's going to be there, who's going to be doing what, which riders are the winners, and that's up to the media to then, like, em- emphasise and create those characters for the fans. Um, yeah, I mean, for example, when I didn't I didn't watch road cycling and flick it on TV, I'd be like, what is this sport? I don't yeah. know anyone to understand, and, like, there was a sprint, okay. But when you understand, the like, the game, <laughs> it really is just this really, like, strategic game. Um, and you suddenly know all the riders and you're like, oh, it's so good to see him in the break. Or like, I can't believe he won. He did this last time. And like, so that's what women's cycling will develop and what it does need to kind of keep those fans engaged, to keep coming back. So, yeah, I think it'll be, it's just like unknown. Like you said, you might be like, what's going to happen in this race? We don't quite know yet, but um, that's also exciting. I think the TDF next year will be huge because... Yeah. It's I'm glad it's not on the same. I'm fully opposed to same day races, men and women races. I think <laughs> Paru Bay this year is the best ever example of how much hype can be built for it on the women's race standing on its own day. And mm. maybe there's higher logistics costs, I think there would be than having it on the same day, but it gives the women's race space to breathe. It means it can mm. be on at the same time in the day, a better viewing slot. And that's what I think the course has suffered from uh sometimes mm-hmm. like of course you put it on the same day as stage one of tdf in the morning it's tough um yeah that's interesting i didn't really i haven't really considered that i suppose i guess i'm not i'm not so often watching women's races i'm i'm in them so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm back and watch the men's racing when i'm not racing <laughs> in the hotel room afterwards because broadcasters and journalists they have this they have a limited number of people and i know mm-hmm. i'm on the tiny end of the scale when I have just the women's race on that day, I can put everything into it. I can, we can mm. do full, you know, good pods, spend time on it. When you, when you've got two races, men or women's like when Paranese and Torreno overlap, I hate it. And I think they, <laughs> they cannibalize yeah. each other as well. So it's just more of a race over. I think that's just my, if we're getting bug bears off our chest, that's my bug bear. Um, of the I understand. Day. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to think about that now. <laughs> when I run, 
case, I'll I'll consider that. <laughs> All right, bro. La- last thoughts from you. What races do you think next year we need to look out for you again? Classic San Sebastian, got to be a lock for that. Liège, again, surely. Flesh, I reckon top ten. Depends on depends how that race. Oh, flesh. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to be like, I'm going to be a leader at these races. Yeah, but yeah. So I, for me, my goals, I'll be going into like Strata Bianchi. Um, I love that race also. Yeah. Um, yeah. Liège, Basson, Liège, Flesh Malone, uh, San Sebastian, because I guess this year, like it was a really cool race. It was the first time I'd done it, but we didn't have the whole peloton there because it was also during the Olympics. Yeah. Um, oh, will you be yeah, in Australia? I, hey. Will you be in Australia then? Next well, year. Next year for next Worlds. Year. Wait, when is it next year? I don't even know when it is. Well, Classic is in August, isn't it? It's after the tour. No, it's in July. Oh. It depends how long you go to like before the World Champs in Australia. Yeah. I mean, I got to get selected for Worlds first. That's the yeah. thing. It's a battle. <laughs> yeah. I got to get selected for Worlds and then I have to be injury-free and healthy going into Worlds. But I reckon I would probably go back, ideally, um, early September because it takes about two weeks for you to feel properly good and then yeah. train um yeah that'd be sweet because i haven't been there in ages but yeah those races i'm looking forward to i'm certainly looking forward to gosh it's hard to think off the top of my head but just i'm i'm really looking forward to more stage racing i mean we've got a couple of races in spain which i really like um obviously the tour de france now that the park balls have been released i'm just super pumped for it so you know i want to work hard enough to prove that I can get selected for that race out of my team as well. Um, You know, regardless of what my role is, I want to go to the Tour de France. Yeah, it'll be be huge. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I just think it's, I mean, it's it's cool that we're going to have like more racing in England again um, with the Ride London Classic is now going to be like a stage race, I think. It's not just a grip. Um, which are, it's just cool riding in England. I just I like riding in different places and experiencing different crowds and different roads and yeah, hard racing there. Um, yeah, so I just I just like racing, so I look forward to it all. <laughs> Anything can happen. I know, yeah. and if if this was technically possible, which I doubt it is, I reckon they should put on like Cadell's or Race Torquay or TDU like a month before Worlds or three weeks before Worlds. That would be it's the best time ever to do it. <laughs> People would be so hyped. It it seems like there have been, again, rumours flying about it. And then, you know, I hear from one person that's like, no, absolutely not. They shut it down. And someone else is like, oh, it might still happen. I guess logistically and like um, budget-wise, it's probably really quite difficult to organise those races. Um, But it would make sense if they had enough time to to do that. It would make sense to get riders pumped for Australia. Um, I really hope those races go ahead next year. I mean, sorry, 2023. Oh my yeah, gosh. I know. That's what's crazy. Like, it'll be, it'll be like by the time they happen in 2023, fingers crossed, it'll be like three years or something until they, since they previously happened, like in their full incarnation. So that's why I was like, TDUs, that's too much. But race to key, I don't know. It's a one day race. Yeah, surely there's going to yeah. be something to feel like. Even the Bay Crits. Yeah, the bakeries would be so good. Just just ran um, out of car park somewhere in industrial estate, and you have like yeah. the whole world tour peloton <laughs> doing it. Oh my gosh, that'd be such that'd be kind of carnage, but also super fun. <laughs> like I think Cadell, it'd be so good. Cadell's race was on before then because I mean, 
uh, I guess less so for the women, but like we got Shalambra in it and the men go up Shalambra multiple times and it's 10Ks from the finish, which is not dissimilar to... Yeah, it's very similar. So that's kind of going to give a good idea of people's form and stuff. But I mean, if they could do that, it'd be great. Just, I think it'd be a little bit difficult for European teams to get their head around like the racing that's also, you know, that they've kind of promised themselves to in Europe. Yeah. Um, Plus there is racing after Worlds a lot of the time. So I think a lot of them have got to figure it out, but... Um. Yeah, it's just gonna. Be, it's gonna be cool to have everyone come to Australia. Like even when I was first on FDJ and the French girls came to Cadell's, I was just like, "This is so cool! You get to like be. Yeah. This is where I'm at." <laughs> <laughs> I but can't also, wait to go back. Careful, just be careful. People aren't super nice. Um, I know <laughs> I've brought that up twice now, but it's true. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is. I was like. Yeah. When when I was riding here with a couple of guys on teams and they're just like taking two abreast in the full lane and they were just chilling. And I was like, oh, is this what it's like here? Yeah. Because I, I was I was like, gosh, shouldn't we like getting the hard shoulder and the in all the rubbish? <laughs> yeah. The Catalan drivers here are so nice. Like when I first came here, it's crazy. Like, oh man, I'm gonna get like some abuse hurled at me and they're gonna like sit right up the back, but they just chill and they wait for you. And then they go around and then they give you a wave and you're like, right on. But in Australia, um, yeah, truck drivers um, hate you a lot of the time. So that's the that's the truth. I've been called so many terrible names by drivers. <laughs> I'm like, what's your problem? You're pretty angry by looks <laughs> Hopefully worlds will change some attitudes when people see yeah. how big cycling is. So hopefully that will happen. I mean, Geelong was certainly good for Australian yeah, cycling. Yeah, Hopefully it's a catalyst really for that. Yeah, like Wollongong locals will probably, I mean, I reckon they probably resent it a little bit to start with, but once they see the hype, um, it's interesting how much a cycling race in a town can really change your attitude. Yeah. Like I saw it first in Innsbruck World, so that was my first world championship and I was there a fair bit, um, staying with some friends and riding around and going to cafes. And we met this couple who owned a cafe and they'd not ever been into cycling before and, um, you know, we were in there every day and not long after they like got a bike and like he messaged me and like, I got a bike. And then now they're just like, you know how cycling takes over your life. Like, yeah, that is, he does. He lives for it now. And that's just one example. I'm, I'm well, Adelaide. Hey, Adelaide, Adelaide, I think is the best place to ride in Australia. Um, oh, it is good. Like it's in terms true. of culture. Um, very true. So I was actually I was just in the Algarve region of Portugal. Oh yeah. Um just for a little training camp. And it kind of reminded me of Adelaide. I stayed in Portimao and then you have to kind of ride out on some less savory roads to get to the hills. And then there was just so many options everywhere. Like no wonder they have a race there. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) That would be good. I mean Algarve, yeah. Algarve, Falta Alentejo, they're pretty good races. And I also watched the Grandissima, which is pretty funny race to Volta Portugal but yeah hope, I can't yeah. wait for Worlds maybe we'll I mean we'll probably cross paths if I'm in Girona at some point I've got to go down and say hi to a few people and but yeah. I really want to go back to Australia for Worlds yeah for sure you got to you got to cover it for sure yeah <laughs> all right thanks so much Brody for coming on lots of interesting it's stuff um, from you and yeah we wish you the best of luck for for 2022 and even your training camp coming up so best wishes from LRCP we'll be following closely Thanks so much. I appreciate coming on.
that's all for today. Hope you enjoyed the FTJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope team previews for 2022. And if you want to give us a review on podcast players, that helps out the pod a lot. Or if you're watching on YouTube, like it down below and we'll see you with the next one. Ciao.